Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Florida's Fourth Estate. I should say welcome to my children's playroom. We've got Barbie dream houses and children's books all around me, and I'm in my little corner here in my house. Ginger Gadsden is off again this week. I know what you're saying. Wow, she must have a good agent because she is off all the time. Well, just recently. So we will miss her this week, and she's pretty upset that she's missing this episode because this week we are talking about... Space, baby. Yeah, we've got the old school shuttle video out. We are talking about how the ISS was assembled in the first place. I have learned so much just talking to our space expert. We've got Emily Speck, who works at News 6. She has a brand new podcast that is going to be really cool. It's called Space Curious. And in this, she takes your space questions and then she figures them out. And so, uh, Emily, one of our actually young people in the newsroom was talking and asking you, how in the world did the International Space Station get up there in the first place? And I guess it's something a lot of us don't think about it because it happened. Okay, so how many years ago was this thing assembled? Well, so it's been fully assembled for 20, well, almost 20 years. Um, we've had astronauts living on the International Space Station now for 20 years this Halloween. So that's pretty exciting. But it didn't just get assembled overnight. So that's kind of where that question came from. Mm -hmm. Our coworker, Brie Voles, as you know, you see her on the 9am show, or if you um, watch Clicko on the go on Instagram or Snapchat. Um, she's very curious, but she's not a native Floridian like me. And so sometimes she has space questions. And when we are working in the newsroom, I get to sit next to her. And so she'll usually turn and ask me questions. And uh, one of those questions was, how did the space station get get put up there, get put up in space, 200 miles above Earth? And um, so I wrote it on a sticky note and I stuck it on my computer. And that ended up being the um, first question that I answered for the first episode of Space Curious. Mm -hmm. Which is so cool. And there's a lot about the space station. I think we all kind of take for granted that there's this giant basically house for astronauts floating 200 miles above the earth tell me about the size of the international space station because it's a bit surprising i picture it being like a closet up there but it's much bigger right no you've got to think about um these astronauts they spend sometimes up to a year on this thing so this is the largest spacecraft essentially ever built and um you can actually go to Johnson uh, Space Center in Houston, and they have a, a full-scale model of it, and it's really huge when you when you look at these things. I mean, yeah, when you're watching a live stream or, or you're watching NASA TV or something, um, you look at it and it looks kind of small in comparison to space because space is huge, right? Uh, but no, this is this thing is like a six-bedroom home. It has tons of working pieces. It's been assembled by, I think, around 16 different countries have contributed to the space station. So um, it's pretty big. It's got a gym. It's got a working laboratory that's got more than 250 experiments going on at one time. Uh, it's got a kitchen. It's kind of got everything you need if you're going to be up in space for a few months. Hey, give me a gym and a kitchen, and I'm pretty good. Uh, we have some interesting people weighing in on Facebook. We've got Bethany Lynn saying, I've worked in the space station processing facility for 17 years. What an amazing experience to see all of the parts 
and the modules before launches. Uh, so if you're weighing in, if you're seeing us on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter and you have a question about the International Space Station, I bet Emily Speck will be able to answer that for you. And Emily, you brought in a big gun for this episode. You were able to find one of your... I know you're like... Astronauts are like the Beatles to you. So you get really excited <laughs> when you get to talk to an astronaut. I think a lot of people think that, or at least I hope so. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was just telling you before we started that I wish I could interview astronauts all day because they have the coolest stories and they're not typically the stories that you think of. You know, I mean, we, we get to see them in a limited capacity, but they're really ambassadors of, of space. So, um, most of them are very eloquent public speakers and, and they can just be on all the time. And um, for this episode, Kennedy Space Center Director Bob Cabana, a lot of people in Brevard will recognize that name or just at NASA in general. Um, he is a former astronaut. And so he flew on the first um, mission to assemble these two pieces of the space station. Uh, so immediately when Bree asked that question, I thought, well, you know, how far do we want to go back with where things began? And and so that's kind of where I wanted to start is when the space station lights got turned on and uh, Director Cabana was there for that. So uh, basically I, I met with him and, and this interview happened, oh gosh, it was like in February, pre-pandemic when we could do things in person. So he had me come to his office at, at the Space Center, which has this gorgeous view that overlooks um, the Space Center. And he kind of just walked me through what that mission was like from from launch to assembly, what it was like to first enter the space station. It was it was really, really cool to hear it from him. Yeah, I bet. And and you've had a few conversations with Mr. Cabana and one in which he said he was ready to go back to the space station into space anytime soon. Let's play a little piece of that right now. Last time I saw you actually was in Houston for a commercial crew announcement. And um, I think you said to me you would go again. You would Absolutely. Go in, space in a heartbeat. Yeah, you would. Yep. Do you think there's a future for that with commercialization and more access? Do you think you've got another space flight? I've got another space flight. I just got to find somebody that wants to take me. Okay. Because <laughs> it's really <laughs> expensive. Okay. No, um, it's, um, you know, our goal, that's it. We want to open up space to everyone. And uh, we're doing our best to make that happen. This is our future. You know, I just love how he lights up as soon as you asked him about it. He's like, yeah, I would go back. Throw me on there right now. Uh, he's just so excited to talk about it. By the way, I want to say hi to everybody joining us. We've got Spencer. We've got uh, Walt, who's out in Daytona Beach. Thanks for joining us today. T. Gray joining us as well. He's always uh, hanging out with us when we do these podcasts. So, Emily, uh, when you talk to Mr. Cabana, it had to be crazy to get up there, especially like the initial stages, because they're having to build the place that they're going to live in space, right? Yeah. So the really cool part about the first pieces of the space station, now this is an international collaboration, which I think is just one of the most amazing things to me about space exploration is there are no borders in space and you have to collaborate with your international partners. And, and we've had, you know, a great working relationship with the Russian space agency on the space station since the beginning um, of, of the space station program. So essentially one piece launched from Russia and that piece was called Zarya. 
And then in the US, we launched another piece. Um, it's called Node One, but its nickname is Unity, which is a great name for combining two pieces of hardware and space. And so the uh, Zarya was waiting in space for basically the space shuttle to launch and the astronauts to assemble the two pieces together. So these pieces of the space station were literally built and launched on opposite sides of the world. And then in space, they became one, which is just really, really cool when you think about it that way. Yeah, that's amazing. The other thing that's crazy about the International Space Station to me is who we are hanging out with up there, right? Like we have this confrontational relationship with Russia so often down here on Earth. How is it that we get along so well in space and work together and live together up there? Can you explain that to me? Well, the astronauts that I've spoken to and, and Bob Cabana is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, they have such wonderful things to say about their fellow Russian astronauts. They're called cosmonauts. Um, they train with them, they work with them, and it's, it's, it's a job, but they have to spend a lot of time together in space, so you do have to have great working relationships. I mean, our American astronauts have to learn Russian when they go and they train um, in Star City, and it's just, you build those relationships over time, and I think when you have so much at stake, you know, uh, human spaceflight and spaceflight in general is, is still very hard and it's still very risky. So they, they are working together for a common goal of basically, you know, bringing technology to all of humanity that will benefit us all at some point or another. So I think that that's, that's kind of part of it. And, you know, I have never heard any astronaut NASA or, or European say anything negative about their Russian counterparts. You know, they work very well together. Yeah. It's a team effort, and uh, it's just nice mm -hmm. that we all can get along at, <laughs> somewhere. Uh, one thing yeah. I love about doing a, a podcast about space here in our beautiful state of Florida is people have so much experience with it. We've got Jacqueline. She says, I was at the first launch, May 5th, 1961, with Alan Shepard. Very exciting, very emotional. We'll never forget that. And this history, Emily, runs so deep in central Florida and, uh, and people really feel connected to it, like you, right? Like you feel, this is your thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, it, always, it hasn't always like been my thing. It was uh, definitely a family thing, and I grew up in Brevard County. Um, my dad works at NASA. Hi, dad, if you're watching. <laughs> um, and, and so it was kind of the thing I grew up watching launches. Yeah, that's really cool as a kid, but when you grow up with it, I don't think that you really, appreciate just how really cool that is you know when you talk to I, I i mean i basically lived in florida until i graduated college and then i moved away and this shuttle program was ending that year so um i remember explaining it to my coworkers in dc and and making them watch you know the final launch with me and then watching when the shuttle came to dc to go to the smithsonian so i felt like kind of an ambassador of brevard county that i needed to make sure that everyone else cared as much as I did about <laughs> the end of that program and what it meant. And um, so it kind of took moving away to realize just how amazing this is. But it is so much part of Brevard's history. It's so much part of a lot of states' history. There are almost every state has a role in our space program in some capacity or another. So everyone should be very, very proud of that. Yeah, 
We certainly are. And uh, we're getting a question from Darlene Bell. She says, do they lose a lot of tools up there? I would imagine those things are tethered or something. I'm thinking like during a spacewalk, maybe, especially when they were putting the pieces together. Have you heard about any lost equipment? Um, well, recently we had a, a spacewalk where a little piece of, um, it's like they have these uh, mirrors on their, their wrists that they use to kind of look behind them and stuff like that. A piece fell off during a spacewalk and floated away, but that was that was not a big deal. Um, but they do use a lot of Velcros. When you think about not having, you know, it's very low gravity in space, so things will float away. So yeah, sometimes stuff gets lost, but um, they use Velcros, they keep very close track of things, but it is kind of fun to watch astronauts do everyday things. Um, you know, before we started, I was telling you yesterday, I got to interview um, retired NASA astronaut uh, Terry Burtz, and he has some really interesting stories about not necessarily things that you would think about doing in space, but like that were kind of necessary. He had to cut his uh, crewmate's hair and she was a woman uh that's samantha cristoforetti the italian uh, esa astronaut and doing that in space just i don't know scissors like no gravity <laughs> hair like that just seems kind of crazy but um it's they have to learn to to work and live in this environment so it, it does take some adapting so i'm sure things have been lost mm -hmm. um i don't know about anything super super important um but yeah, that's a good question. Though. Yeah, that is a fair question. I, I'm just yeah. picturing now the trust level Ginger Gadsden would have to have to let me cut her hair, even if I flew oh. to Italy to figure it out. I don't think, I don't think she'd be okay with that, Emily. That yeah. would never happen. Well, that's what Terry did. He said he went and he learned from Samantha's Italian hairdresser in Italy how to cut her hair, and he spent all day at the salon learning how to do this. And he said he looks at me and he says, "You know, your hair." would be pretty easy because it's long and it's all one length. But her hair, she has kind of like a short, um, kind of like a pixie cut. Okay. And he was like, but her hair was, you know, very different. And for his hair, he would just use a buzzer and shave it. And yeah. they were very chill about that. So, yeah. <laughs> He's having to do layering and stuff. That's interesting. I would have I liked to have so, seen yeah. that on the International Space Station. There's a, there's a video. Yeah, there's Is a there video really? of him doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I'll be on YouTube immediately after this. Um, yeah. So, yeah. another question. We talked about things floating away in space your very next episode of your podcast which i highly recommend is about space junk can you give us a little preview of what that'll be like yeah so again every episode is inspired by questions that i get and you can submit questions right now at clickorlando.com space or if you search space curious on our website um, but this question came from a viewer her name is heather and she basically said okay we're launching all this stuff into space what happens when these satellites and spacecrafts are, are, are no longer in use anymore? And so um, basically, you know, we know that kind of as space junk or which sometimes becomes space debris. Um, and we have millions of pieces of hardware and defunct spacecraft orbiting Earth. So there's a lot of it out there. So this is currently a problem that a lot of people are working on. Um, so I went over to Florida Tech where they have a program actually where they're doing research to figure out how to capture these spacecraft and reel them in, either bring them down to earth or maybe even refuel them and get them working again. Wow, yeah, that is a, that would be 
I mean, I can't even process that in my brain, uh, having them do that. Uh, we're getting uh, some more questions. Uh, T. Gray says, are they ever going to put average citizens into space one day? Now, he says average citizens. I don't know if he means super billionaire rich citizens. So what are our prospects for that one day, Emily? Well, I hope that one day going to space is kind of like getting on a commercial airline, you know, and, and that kind of access is there. Yeah. That would be amazing. I think that that is a possibility, but I, it's very far off. Um, right now, that answer would be not soon, but in the, in the far future. As far as other private citizens going, those who do have money, um, yes, I think that that future is coming pretty, pretty soon. Um, Basically, there's a couple different uh, private companies that are working on this. You know, we've got Virgin Galactic, where you can pay, I think it's up to $250,000, or you put a $1,000 deposit down, and you can go and you can experience zero gravity on um, their space plane, Starship 2. So that hasn't launched any um, paying customers yet, only Virgin Galactic employees, but that's that's coming up pretty soon. But that's still going to be a, a hefty price to pay. Um, and then SpaceX, they do also want to launch private astronauts eventually. I know there's uh, plans for Tom Cruise to launch with SpaceX to the space station to work on a movie. Uh, he's definitely not your average citizen, though. So <laughs> yeah. again, you know, we're talking dollar dollar bills here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be expensive, but. Yeah, it's it's getting it's getting there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he uh, he was uh, clarifying. He's saying not millionaires, just regular people. That is uh, yeah. very mm -hmm. that is very that's, far off. Not Tom Cruise. Yeah, I can't not imagine paying two hundred and fifty grand just to experience uh, weightlessness. I mean, it'd be cool and all, but not like if, my house. Cool. If I had the money, I would I would do it just based alone on the experiences that I've heard from people who've experienced it. Not just feeling zero gravity but looking down from space at earth which is apparently you know we see photos of it and yes it looks really really cool in photos but that experience of being so far away and looking down on our planet and seeing just how little we are is is something that's supposed to be just life-changing oh i can't imagine that that would be pretty amazing so the person yeah. who inspired your first podcast her name is brie she just got married to a guy named ryan who is watching Hi, Facebook right now. <laughs> Ryan says, how many countries have been to the ISS? That's a great question. Okay, that is a great And you're really gonna have question. to, he's gonna make you do math right now. <laughs> he is, he's gonna, make, he's gonna make me do math right now. So um, I guess if you're talking about astronauts, we can, we can kind of count them up. So um, we have Russian astronauts, we have American astronauts, and we have Japanese astronauts. And then the European Space Station, um, or the European Space Station, the European Space Agency, um, that includes multiple countries. So it includes, you know, Italian astronauts and astronauts from the UK and things like that. So when you look at it that way, um, there's a lot more astronauts from different countries that have been to the space station. But I guess I would have to ask if he means how many people or how many people or how many countries countries contribute yeah. countries contributed to the to the iss because that's a lot it's, a, it's about 16 different countries that contributed to building the iss we also have canada i should have mentioned canada don't forget so, canada um <laughs> can't forget canada because they made 
the wonderful Canada arm that's on the space station that uh, the astronauts use all the time to either grapple spacecraft or to when they're working outside the space station to move stuff around. So that's very, very important. Yes. So don't forget Canada. Okay, very true. And I think I'm going to take one more question. This is from my buddy John Biebrick I worked with back in Oklahoma City. He's joining us for the podcast today. I miss you, buddy. He has a great question. Any UFO or extraterrestrial stories? Okay, this has been big in the news, my friends, because the government has actually released footage of pilots out there seeing UFOs, and they do look suspicious. Okay, so have you ever heard of anything from the International Space Station? They're out there all the time. They're looking out the windows. Have they ever seen any sort of extraterrestrial activity? I haven't spoken to anyone who has, but if you speak to an astronaut and you ask them the general question, are there aliens? They'll say most likely because the universe is too big for us to be alone. There's too many other planets and places. And I'm not just talking about within our solar system, but you can talk about exoplanets, which have, you know, more qualities of life. Uh, but yeah, I, I have not done an episode on UFOs yet or on extraterrestrials, but I would I would really like to. Um, so we I do have a question that's that's in our form. <laughs> T. Gray says we are aliens. <laughs> yeah, I mean basically. Pretty yeah. much. Um, so we're also all stardust. So there's that. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I would love to do an episode about aliens um, or about the possibility of aliens. But yeah, the video that you're talking about, um, it's you know, it's real. And those are like Navy pilots and Air Force pilots that have seen this stuff. So there are astronauts that I have read interviews with or, or read books um, that they've written that talk about um, seeing different lights and different things that maybe they couldn't explain. Um, so, you know, when you think about it that way, I think anything's possible. But um, there are definitely, when it comes to space, there are always more questions than answers. You know, we're always seeking answers for everything. Um, and once you get an answer to the one question, you're going to have more questions. So that's kind of the, the fun and also frustrating part about space exploration. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole goal is to try to answer these questions as we go. I would love to hear that episode, by the way. You need to put that in the words. All right. Okay. I want, and I want you can ask, you can ask the question and we'll have you on the episode like we did with Brie. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> I am so in. Yeah. I'm so excited for your podcast. It's a great name. It's called Space Curious. That's exactly what Emily Speck is. It's going to be every other Wednesday. You can find it at clickorlando.com slash space. And Emily, who is incredibly smart and uh, super curious about everything, will guide you through these space questions. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble podcast. When your podcast gets huge, you're going to have to have me back on. And we're going to have to, you know, try to. Uh, yeah. take advantage of this situation you know what i'm saying so yeah for sure <laughs> just use each other's podcast platforms isn't that what happens as you start a podcast and then you just have each other on your podcast that, i think that's the way it goes and then they, they just grow like joe rogan just has other podcasters yeah. on yeah. and they just get bigger and huger <laughs> we're not quite there yet but we're working on it emily speck yeah. thank you so much and uh again check out her podcast every other wednesday have yourselves a fantastic weekend ginger will be back next week on this podcast. Ha. Bye.